And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to the Saturday Slammin' Jam, hosted by Andrew Schlicht with Alex Spears. How about we can just watch basketball? That's a man's jam! I like that idea. Live from Oklahoma. With questions and participants from all around the world. Anthony Edwards! Put that on a poster! Whether you're flipping your flapjacks, tending to your yard, or just sipping your coffee, get ready, sit back, relax. It's the Saturday Slammin' Jam. Back is I missed this shot, I'll walk away, I'm still a chump. Here's Andrew. Welcome to the Saturday Slam and Jam. I'm your host, Andrew Schleck. Go to theathletic.com slash NBA show and get The Athletic for $1 a month. If you haven't done that yet, it's time. Go do it. The deal's not going to get any better than that. So go do it today. Before we get to what happened in the NBA this week and my co-host, Alex Spears, I want to give a quick shout out to Jonathan Charks on an article that he wrote this week on TheRinger.com. It's titled... Does my son know you? You can go find it on his Twitter at Jonathan Charks, T-J-A-R-K-S. Wow. It was one of the more raw, vulnerable articles I've ever read. And to be honest, I read I read this with my wife, and we were both crying by the end of it because of how powerful it was and how centered it was and how just honest it was. It uh, talks about uh, Jonathan's struggle with terminal cancer that he's going through right now, and then what's going to happen to his son and his wife whenever he's gone. He talked a little bit about how his his life as a as a boy could mirror what could happen to his son and what he wants to see different, and essentially what's he, what he wants to see that's different is that he wants to pe- see people show up. He wants to see people show up for his kid. And it was especially heartfelt for us, uh, for my wife and I, because we're seeing this play out in our own church community. And I reached out to a buddy right after who is displaying just what Jonathan is hoping for his son. And, you know, just to let him know, like, what you're doing is just so important. And uh, here's an example why. So huge shout out to Jonathan for being vulnerable and just an incredible writer, number one, but then just sharing what he shared meant a lot to me and meant a lot to me, not only seeing it in my community, but just as a father, uh, it, it is very grounding and humbling and it just really pinpoints what matters most. So go check that out. And now without further ado, Alex, what happened in the NBA this week? Well, Andrew, is the first full week after the All-Star Game, and it started off last Friday night with James Harden's Sixers debut. The Sixers beat the Timberwolves in Minnesota 133-102 and are now 3-0 in the Harden era after two wins over the Knicks later in the week. Sixers fans are currently in a 24-7 state of euphoria, breaking out of their pre-deadline death spiral, reborn, energized, emboldened attacking anyone who doubts this new era of Sixers basketball. And for those doubters out there, don't worry. You'll have your questions answered soon enough because this week, the Sixers play Cleveland, Miami, Chicago, and Brooklyn. On Saturday, it was the official start of Ja Morant week, a week that began with Ja dropping a jaw-dropping 46 points in a 116-110 win over the Chicago Bulls. For most players, scoring a career high would be enough. You've already had a great week. How can you top a career high? Well, you can score even more points, which is exactly what Ja did in his very next game when he dropped 52 in a 118-105 win over the Spurs. But not only that, he gave us two memorable highlights, a poster on Yaka Pirtle that is a dunk of the year candidate, and a falling out of bounds buzzer beater at the end of the first half featuring a full court pass from Steven Adams that's similar to his dunk a few minutes earlier has to be seen to be believed. 
on Sunday. The New Orleans Pelicans beat the Lakers 123-95 in L.A. At the end of January, the Lakers had six more wins than the Pelicans. A month later, a C.J. McCollum trade later, an A.D. injury later, the Pelicans are now only a game back of the Lakers for the ninth seed, who happen to have the second most difficult remaining schedule according to tankathon.com. Since joining the Pelicans, C.J. McCollum is putting up 26.5 points, 6 rebounds, 6 assists, while shooting 52% from the field and 42% from three. On Monday, the Timberwolves got a 127-122 win over the Cavs. They followed that up with a back-to-back win over Golden State. Those two wins, coupled with a surprising Nuggets loss at home to the Thunder on Wednesday, mean that the Wolves are now only a game and a half back of Denver. Now, is Denver still the favorite to hold on to the final non-play-in spot? Yes, but for fun, let's read off the Wolves' next five games. At OKC, Portland at home, Portland again at home, OKC at home, at Orlando. In other words, don't be surprised if the Wolves are on a seven-game winning streak the next time we talk and inching closer and closer to that sixth seed. On Tuesday, the Lakers won a game! Unfortunately, it was only a moral victory after they erased a 21-point lead against the Mavs before losing 109-105. The Mavs, on the other hand, have won 9 of their last 11 as they try to solidify their position as the 5th seed. Mavs superstar Luka Doncic was awarded the Player of the Month award for February, and if we just look at his last 9 games, Luka is averaging 36-10-7 while shooting 41% from 3. On Wednesday, we had another marquee matchup in the Eastern Conference, a potential preview of a future playoff series. It was the Heat at the Bucks. The Bucks rallied from a 14-point deficit with only six minutes left in the game to shock the Heat after Drew Holiday made the game-winning layup with 1.9 seconds left. Giannis had a 27-15-5 in the close win, while Jimmy Butler only scored six points in his 35 minutes, shooting 2 of 14 from the field. While Butler has never been known as a sharpshooter, it is worth noting that Butler is currently shooting 19% from three this season, his lowest percentage since his rookie season when he took 11 total threes. And finally, on Thursday night, the Boston Celtics, without Jalen Brown, closed out Ja Morant week with a very convincing win over the Grizz, 120-107. Jason Tatum scored 37 in the win, which moved the Celtics ahead of the Cavs for the fifth seed. Since January 1st, the Celtics are one of only three teams with a top 10 offense and top 10 defense, joining Phoenix and Memphis. What a week it was, Andrew. All right, Andrew, this week I wanted to talk about the future. When you go to a player's page on Basketball Reference, you can look at their stats split up in a variety of ways. How do they play on Sundays? How do they uh, play in wins versus losses? One of my favorites is the pre-All-Star versus post-All-Star break split because it's one. Of, it's the only split with actual real time in between it. You know, like looking at splits by month is fun, but months are kind of irrelevant. There's no reason a player would suddenly and dramatically change his game when the month changes from February 28th to March 1st. But the All-Star break split is different because players get an entire week off. Maybe there's some been some roster changes at the deadline. Maybe the team installs some new plays. And sometimes a player becomes a much better version of themselves over that last stretch of the season. Now, oftentimes these are second or third year guys on teams outside of contention. We have two great examples from this year. First, Darius Garland, who last year was in his second season for a 22-wins Cavs team. After the All-Star break, there really wasn't a great reason to be watching the Cavs for the average NBA fan. But while we didn't watch, Darius Garland got significantly better. From pre- to post-All-Star break last season, Garland's true shooting jumped from 52% below league average to 57% just above league average. He increased his points per game from 16 to 19 points per game. He shot over 40% from three. All of this leading to a smart NBA writer, Jackson Frank, writing an article last May titled, Is Darius Garland Quietly Rising to Stardom in Cleveland? Which we actually talked about. A year later, Garland is an all-star, which if you weren't watching Cavs games last spring, and why would you be, might have been a surprise if you hadn't read some of the articles about Garland last spring. 
Garland's post-All-Star break performance last year was his pre-jump. It was foreshadowing the giant jump he would take this season. Another example from this year, Miles Bridges, who was in his third year with Charlotte last year, had a similar pre-jump post-All-Star break. Points per game jumped from 10 to 16. He shot 41% from three. He saw a jump in usage from 16 to 19%. Now Bridges is averaging 20 points per game, and while his shooting has fallen off from his hot start, everyone would recognize that Bridges is now in a completely different tier of player than he was before. And that pre-jump last spring was the clue for anyone watching that Miles Bridges had a much higher ceiling than we may have thought. So now, a week into the post-All-Star break period, I thought it'd be fun to nominate our choice for this year's pre-jump player 2022. The guy who we predict will be significantly better post-All-Star break and who will use this improved play to make an even bigger jump next season. We're getting in early. We're trying to outsmart the NBA smart guys. (laughs) Now, me and Andrew, we've each chosen a player. We have. How we will determine a winner is either A, this player ends up... <laughs> winner? Yes, yeah, yeah, there's going to be a winner, Andrew. Oh, no. uh, how It's, it's going to be months from now. How we will determine a winner is either A, this player either ends up being at least a legitimate candidate for most improved player next season. Okay. Or B, much easier, a smart national NBA writer with no team affiliation writes a long deep dive piece on this player before the end of the season. And you may not cheat. I swear, Andrew. I was going to say, do not ask Mark Schindler to do this for you, Al. Don't do it. Oh, I was going to say, if you DM Mark Schindler and ask him to write an article about your guy, I will find out and you will automatically lose. Okay, okay. Um, Now, I will say that as I was researching my player right at the end, I realized that Jackson Frank had already written an article about him in January. But the point is, we're predicting (laughs) these players will be so much better than they have already been. Post All Star, the NBA writers will be forced to write another article about them. Okay, so okay. it has to be a fresh article from here on out. Um, another disclaimer is that Andrew and I have agreed to not choose either of the Tyrese's, Tyrese Halliburton yeah. or Tyrese Maxey. Yes, either of these two could improve in the stretch run and perform at an even higher level than they already have, but feels like the trains have already left the station. Everyone's already all aboard. Good. We're all choo chooing together. Okay, yeah. it's too easy. But we are acknowledging that both of those players are very, very good. Could easily end up being the pre-jump players of 2022. Max is already in a big three. You can't be in a big he's three already, and he's qualify. He's already in a big three. You can't pick him for this. Okay, so Andrew, would you like to start us off with your nomination for pre-jump player 2022? I would. It's, I'm going to start with an Atlanta Hawks player. And we, we've talked a lot about how they need a consolidation trade, and it's usually around maybe one of the guards or maybe one of the forwards or just finding a way to punt Danilo Gallinari out of Atlanta somewhere. But I would say, I think maybe Clint Capella could be a part of a consolidation trade because of the way Anyeka Okongwu has played. This was their lottery pick from a couple years ago. And he started to show some signs of being a really elite player. This guy is an absolute monster on the defensive end. He isn't the biggest guy, but that actually kind of helps him in some ways because he's so quick and has got such good hands. If you look at some of the advanced stats, especially like shots at the rim, opponents shoot 37.1% at the rim when Okongwu is the defender, which just doesn't even make sense. And this is, these are smaller samples with the Kongwu because he hasn't played that many minutes yet this season. But even with that, it's just absolutely insane what he's able to do. He can cover a ton of ground, too. I think eventually he's going to be able to defend even out to the wing. So I think that this guy is going to help them with their versatility as a defensive team. And the Hawks just need help defensively in general. And then you look at the offensive end. Akongwu leads the Hawks with a 67.5 true shooting percentage and finishes at, the, at around the rim 83% of the time. It's just crazy. 56% true shooting. It's, to me, he's primed for another jump. If they will give him more minutes, if he can stay healthy is another big question. And then you even look at his on-offs. He's a plus 8.7 in 600 minutes for the Hawks this season. That's the best mark on the team. 
to me, it, it's clear that perhaps the Hawks hit the go button a little bit too fast, but because they have Anyeko Kongwu, they can dial it back and still move forward because they have this guy. And now they have guys like Clint Capella as a trade chip. There's, I think there's a lot of teams that could use a Clint Capella on their team who was very good for the Hawks and stretches. So the Hawks, while it doesn't look good today, I think that building a team with Trey Young and Anika Kongwu and Kevin Herter and John Collins, like that could still work because you still have a young developing big who I think could be one of the best defensive bigs in the league, and he has a growing offensive game. I almost wonder if them continuing to lose would help your case more because like what's going to be the thing that convinces them to start giving him more minutes because you you look at his game logs like over this most recent stretch like yeah there's a few games peppered in there where he you know has 27 minutes most of these games he's playing like 16 to 20 minutes per game sure and so like what's it going to take for them to make that sort of a switch is it them kind of realizing like this season isn't really going anywhere we're holding on to the 10th seed fighting off the wizards of all teams <laughs> like should we just move forward and see what we have in Okongwu. I th- I think that part of it is probably health related. Like I I don't think that you want to give a guy who's had some health problems to start his career just a ton of minutes. So maybe this consolidation trade doesn't happen even this summer, but it's something that happens maybe in season next year or even the summer after that. But I do think there's a bright future for Okongwu. Um, and, and Capella doesn't quite fit the timeline as much as a Kongwu does. So to me, the Hawks always should have built more slowly. And they actually, a Kongwu gives them a chance to kind of get a redo in some ways. Um, okay. So you, you're going with a Kongwu. Uh, good luck. I say on that. He's like the total, the thing about him is like, he's the total NBA smart guy in that no one is really noticing Right. Well, the no, I I agree, and I think he could be a good choice. But like thinking of him post All Star break, like it would take a Capella injury at this point. It feels like for him to get the type of minutes he would need to, because because you look at his stats, and there's plenty of room for growth. I mean, you think he's yeah. averaging like eight and five. Yeah. So like, yes, he he could obviously have a run here at the end of the season, but it's like, what is going to happen for the Hawks to actually do that? That's that's what I would be worried about. That's a good question. Uh, my choice for pre-jump player 2022 from the San Antonio Spurs. It's <laughs> Devin Vassell. Ooh. Now, before choosing Vassell, I targeted the Spurs as a team first for a few reasons. One, they're playing a lot of young guys. I have a lot of choices. Two, uh, they will be playing meaningful games the rest of the season as they try to make the play-in. Who knows? Could they overtake the Lakers, at some point, Andrew, they're only two and a half games behind, I think. Uh, and three, they had a significant subtraction from the roster when they traded Derek White to Boston. And no player benefited more from that trade than Devin Vassell, who has started all seven games since the deadline. Let's go back to Sam Vecini's mock draft 4.0 in 2020 to see how <laughs> Vassell was talked about coming into the draft. Sam wrote, quote, Vassell is, tailor-made role, is a tailor-made role player due to his elite-level shooting ability as he hit 41.5% of his threes this season. And beyond that, he's an absolutely terrific wing defender with strong lateral quickness. Basically, this is your patented 3 and D player. In his first two seasons, the 6'5 wing with a 6'10 wingspan has checked off the defensive checkbox on that 3 and D label. In the Jackson Frank piece I mentioned earlier, he says, quote, conversations about Vassell's name appearing on all defensive teams are not far away. As for the three part of the 3 and D label, that hasn't gone as smoothly. Vassell shot 34.7% from three in his rookie season, currently shooting 34.3% this year, 34.6% above the break, (laughs) 34.1% corner threes. He's at least consistent across the board. Very consistent. Some good news, though, is that he's doubled his attempts from two and a half per game to over five per game. And for a guy who shot only 68% from the line his freshman year, which is a stat that has some predictive value for future three-point shooting. It's also good news that he has been an 80-plus percent free-throw shooter both seasons in the NBA. 
Picking Vassell is partly a bet on him eventually fulfilling the pre-draft projections of him as a high-level shooter. But I'm not picking him just because I think he could become a 3 and D player that he was projected to be. I'm picking him because I think he's going to be more than that. And now that Derek White is gone, now that he's a starter, we are starting to see that. He's been taking on more and more offensive responsibilities in the Spurs offense this season, and it's starting to pay off. In his last four games, now we're recording on a Wednesday night. He had to record a little early this week. So if he plays, I'm assuming they play another game. Maybe this will be wrong. In his last four games, he totaled six, four, four, and five assists. Why is that significant? Before that run, Devin Vassell had never had four-plus assists in two consecutive games before this last week. And he just did it for four straight games. I went back and watched those assists on NBA.com, and it's not like he's some hidden primary ball handler waiting to break out. But sure. he's running some pick and rolls. He's driving and kicking to three-point shooters. He's making quick passes on the perimeter. He looks like he's something much more than just the 3 and D archetype, which is obviously important for his ceiling. He also had his career high in points this past week in a game against Miami. The fit with DeJounte is important too. In 790 minutes with both of them on the court, the Spurs have a plus 5.2 net rating. Leave DeJounte on and take Vassell off. In those 1,100 minutes, the Spurs are only a positive 0.1 net rating. Hmm. So plus 5 with both of those guys, only plus 1 when you take Vassell off. Sounds like a smart guy. Very smart. And as a bonus, I kind of like that Devin Vassell was miffed and peeved that he wasn't picked for the Rising Stars Challenge. Whatever motivation he needs to make this pre-jump, I'm all for it. <laughs> so you put all of that together, and it just feels like if he just starts to hit a few more of his threes, he is in the perfect situation to fully break out post-All-Star. For those reasons, he is my pre-jump player 2022. I like that. I like that pick. The Spurs, have they've got some guys. Dude, I that- when I went into this, I was going to pick Kellen Johnson first. Because yeah. I've, I was listening to some pod, and, and they brought up the fact that he was shooting over 40% from three. And it was just yeah. a stat I had not realized yet. And I started going into his game a bit more. He's another player like you, you could choose for this as well. You could easily pick him. I've, I've liked what I've seen from Josh Primo, too. Like There's yeah. a reason that they were able to trade Derek White and, and feel fine about it and collect a future asset and move on because they've got guys on this team that are ready to spread their wings. Even, And I'm not the biggest Lonnie Walker guy. But Lonnie Walker is is still a guy that that could be a breakout candidate for them too. Like they they just have a lot of these wings that like one of them is eventually going to pop. And if one of them does, and if it is Vassell, like that backcourt pairing defensively, like just so much wingspan, monstrous, amazing. Like I I would be legitimately excited if if one of these if Devin Vassell is the one who pops out of all these guys, and you have that backcourt. Then you're bringing Josh Primo off the bench next year. Like, that would be kind of exciting for a team that a few years ago we were like, I don't really even want to watch the Spurs. Right. If I was a Spurs fan, I wish that they were a little bit worse because this team is dying for like a real star, like a real primary guy. Aren't they going to be one of the few teams with cap space? Who knows, Andrew? Who knows? We're going to talk to our guy, Sam Vecini, about the NBA draft right after this quick break. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. With March Madness right around the corner, I thought that we could check in on the potential lottery picks in the NBA draft. And who better to help us than the Athletics' own Sam Vecini? Sam, how's it going? Andrew Schlecht. Oh my God, it's been so long <laughs> since we talked. It's the Saturday so, so Slam long. and Jam. And you just heard, if you're listening to this podcast, 
I know that you've just heard Andrew and I podcast on the Game Theory Podcast earlier yeah. this week about rebuilding teams. I'm so excited to talk to Schlecht again uh, because it's always fun. It's always a great time. Oh, I, I'm so intrigued by this draft, in particular these top four guys. And the consensus top four in some order is Chet Holmgren, Jabari Smith, Paolo Boncaro, and Jaden Ivey. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious your thoughts on which of these players has the most to prove in the, in the NCAA tournament upcoming. That is a great question. Honestly, I think the answer might surprise you. I think it might be Chet, to okay. be real with it, because I think that some NBA teams – not all of them, but like a couple of NBA teams I've talked to do have some level of, I don't want to say concern, but like some level of question regarding mm-hmm. why Chet's numbers took such a leap in WCC play versus yeah. what they were early in the season when he was playing really great teams, right? And I think that we probably over analyzed and got overly concerned about Chet based off of his early season play when you look back and like, he wasn't that bad, right? Like you go back and you watch the Duke game. Like, yeah, Paulo got him in the first half, but Chet was undeniably the better player in the second half. And part of that had to do with Paulo um, cramping up and everything. But uh, even beyond that, I thought Chet played really, really well in the second half of that game. So I think that in order to be the number one, overall pick in this draft. Chet is probably the player that is going to have to play well in this NCAA tournament. And I think that it's more of like, you mentioned it's a four person tier at the top. I see it personally as more of like a two and two tier. Um, Okay. I have Jabari Smith and Chet Holmgren just a little bit ahead of Paulo and Jaden Ivey at this point. Mm -hmm. And Jabari Smith has done it against SEC players the entire year. I think that, there's less concern about what he looks like against the elite athleticism than there is with Chet, rightly or wrongly. Like Chet's numbers did spike against worse teams this year. And I think that it would be yeah. very beneficial. And I'm still all in on Chet. Like, I think the reason that his numbers spiked was he just got more comfortable with the physicality of college basketball and it took him more time to figure it out. But for me personally, I'm not the one drafting, right? Like at the end of the day. (laughs) And Chet, I think for NBA teams is going to have to prove that what he did in WCC play was not a function of playing worse players. Um, More so than with Jabari Smith. So I I would say Chet Holmgren's the guy who has the most to prove because if he leads Gonzaga to a final four and leads him to a national title for the first time, I think there's pretty real chance that, we look at Chet as like the clear guy. And I think the same could be said for Jabari, by the way, like if Jabari leads Auburn to a national mm-hmm. title. Um, there's a chance that like he could be seen as like the guy in this draft, but um, more so with Chet, I think that Chet could be seen as the guy. So of the remaining guys like AJ Griffin, Keegan Murray, Johnny Davis, Jalen Duran, is there any possibility that any of those guys sneaks into the top four or do you think the top four is pretty solidified the name that i keep hearing um, well look and and let shaden sharp is not going to be playing march madness i think that he's a name worth mentioning within this it would not surprise me if shaden sharp if he declares for the draft if he goes Mm -hmm. in the top four not a stunner at all um the name that i hear more than others in regard to potentially jumping into that top four range is weirdly Keegan Murray, actually. Okay. Um, Look, I think that AJ Griffin certainly has a chance to do that as well. Mm -hmm. Um, AJ Griffin is, if he has a great NCAA tournament and like dominates and scores 20 points per game, shoots 45% from three, wouldn't surprise me at all if he spiked over Paulo Bancaro. Like he's Mm -hmm. a great player and he has the kind of attributes that NBA teams look for on the wing, but teams really like Keegan Murray. Like they Mm -hmm. really like the production level in a draft that outside of the top four guys, realistically and outside let's throw Johnny Davis away as well, because 
Johnny Davis has been very good as well. In yep. a draft that has been questionable from a production standpoint for the most part, Keegan Murray is putting up one of the most productive college basketball seasons that I can remember, certainly. Mm -hmm. um, he's averaging like 23 points, eight rebounds, shooting 39% from three. Or no, shooting, I think, like 36% from three. Uh, shooting like 50% from the field. Like, he's been awesome. He's been really, really good. Yeah. Uh, and you look at all of the efficiency numbers. You look at the lack of turnovers. Like, he's going to grade out, even though he's a little bit older and he's not going to play his NBA, first NBA game until he's 21 years old. I do think he's going to grade out really, really well within team models at the end of the day. So um, mm -hmm. I have heard from, you know, a couple of teams that, you know, hey, you should be talking more about Keegan Murray than you are, essentially. Hmm. Interesting. It's an interesting one to watch. Uh, okay, rank these three big guys. There's some interesting big guys kind of outside of this group. Uh, Mark Williams, Walker Kessler, and Jalen Duran. That's gross, Andrew. Um, I, I would go Duran Williams Kessler personally. Okay. And mm -hmm. it pains me to put Walker Kessler last because I think he's been the best defensive player in college basketball this year. Yeah. I worry about what his lateral quickness looks like just a little bit at the NBA level. Mm -hmm. I think Mark is a little bit more laterally quick. Uh, I think he's going to have an easier time not having guys turn the corner on him in space and drop coverage scenarios. And I think he's a cleaner fit out of ball screens in, in the dunker spot than Walker is offensively. Um, Durin is purely tools based on some level, yeah. right? He's yeah. still so young. He's so, mm -hmm. so young. He's still, uh, I believe, 18 years old. And we're starting to see the signs of him scratching the surface and, like, really becoming what he can become. Uh, Memphis, for a large portion of this season, did not have anything resembling a point guard. Alex Lomax yeah. has stepped up throughout the course of AAC play and gotten to the point where he's a passable point guard that can get the ball to Jalen Duran in advantageous situations. He just had a 20 point game earlier this week uh, and played really, really well on the defensive end. He is six foot 11. He has a seven foot six wingspan. He is a real athlete, especially off of two feet. He is powerful. He is physical. I think his upside is higher than that of Mark Williams and Walker Kessler even though the certainty of Walker Kessler and Mark Williams uh, is probably a bit higher than it is with Jalen Duran, because they're just a little bit more effective than Jalen Duran is right now at the college level. And the reason for that is that like Walker's, I believe almost two years older than Jalen Duran. Yeah. Yeah. I think Duran's, is he the youngest guy in this draft class? Uh, he's up there. I mean, look, I, I, I can't like, run through the international class in my head right now. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I believe he would be the youngest among the um, college players in this class though. Yeah. He seems like an individual workout guy too, where teams are going to bring him in. He's yeah. just going to be giant and, and they may fall in love with him. Yeah. Uh, you talked about the international class. This is a pretty weak international draft class, but are there any guys that we should be, on the lookout for that could be first round prospects that are international. I mean, look like Nikola Jovic could go in the first round, right? Um, you know, Dyson Daniels with the G league ignite uh, right now. I think he's the international player uh, along with Jeremy Sohan sure. and Baylor who are mm -hmm. like most likely to go highly on draft night. Like I guess Paulo Bancaro is like considering Italian, um, to play for the sure. Italian national team, right? Mm -hmm. um, look, <laughs> it's it's not the best international class. Like Nikola Jovic yeah. is probably the best international player in this class. Um, mm -hmm. Usman Jang in Australia has fans uh, that are willing to just throw away everything that they've seen from him this year. Uh, in the NBL because he's been terrible in the NBL. Like he's been yeah. just dreadful. Um, but he's six foot nine has real athletic tools. Uh, 
very real balance. He can create shots. He's a good passer. He can handle the ball a little bit for his size. He's a long-term project, like a significantly long-term project. Um, but there, he could hear his name called at the end of the first round. I think Nikola Jovic, uh, Jovic could end up hearing his name called, I don't know, like 20s on draft night. Okay. But this is, this is not a strong international class. Like the yeah. guy that I like most for where I think I would have to pick him is probably Gabriel Procida. He's an mm-hmm. Italian kid that is playing well right now. A six foot seven wing can shoot the ball, has some athleticism, plays relatively hard defensively. Um, but like definitely still a project nonetheless with his frame. So this is just not a strong international class uh, to be completely transparent. Okay. Uh, last one. Give me a a mid first round sleeper, a guy that that you love that maybe not everybody else does. A guy that I love that everybody else may not. Um, that's a great question. I really like Malachi Branham at Ohio State. Okay. Uh, I think he is like a real potential like mid to late first round prospect he's six foot five has great length has really improved as a shooter from his time uh, on the prep level he can get into pull up jumpers at a pretty high level he drives he has a good mid-range game he's not a phenomenal athlete he's still working on his game defensively but he's big he's strong he can get his shot and in this draft that's kind of enough for me um yeah I, I don't and he's know. super young like a pre almost pre-drafty you think yeah uh, yeah yeah to an extent, like teams are teams are going to have to give him some assurances, like before I think he officially decides to enter the draft that he'll be a first round pick. Like I, I don't, I don't yeah. see him entering the draft to be like a thirty fifth overall guy. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I would imagine. Here's the thing: like I would imagine that a lot of guys in that freshman class are probably going to test early mm-hmm. to see where their stock lies, and then go from there. I think that that's the smart move. This isn't, this is an imperfect world. Not everyone does like the intelligent thing all the time, but I I would imagine that we're going to see some guys test and we'll find out what the final draft pool looks like after that's finally accomplished. Sam, thanks so much for coming on the show. Go follow Sam on Twitter and go read all of Sam's stuff on the athletic. Sam, thanks so much for coming on the show. I'm just bummed that Alex isn't here. I, I have for the next time. I have so many questions uh, to ask you and Alex. Uh, I'm, I might create a trivia game myself uh, about your band that you guys played in. Oh. That's that's <laughs> okay. actually what I need. <laughs> okay, we can do this. We can make this happen next time for sure. All right, thanks, Andrew. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom. Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, Andrew, it is time for the Wheel of Fandom, where each week we spin a digital wheel, it lands on a random NBA team, and we become fans of that team for the next week. This week, the wheel landed on the best team in the NBA, the Phoenix Suns. The Suns are without Chris Paul for at least the next six weeks, which means we get to see the Suns' first extended run without CP3 since the bubble. The early returns were mixed. After beating the Thunder last week, the Suns lost two home games to the Pelicans and Jazz before destroying the Blazers on Wednesday night, a game in which they also didn't have Devin Booker, who has entered health and safety protocols. The Suns are the first team to hit the 50-win mark at 50-12, the best record in the NBA. Andrew, if our team is the Suns, who is our guest? We've got Mike Vigil at Protected Pick on Twitter, who's the co-host of the Timeline Podcast, a Suns podcast on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Mike, thanks for coming on. Hey, I appreciate you guys for having me. So with Chris Paul out, this next stretch is an opportunity to see what other players on this roster can do with more responsibilities. One of those players is DeAndre Ayton, who will be restricted this summer. Uh, who are you watching in this final stretch, or what will you be watching for from Aiton in this final stretch without Chris Paul? Yeah, that's a great question because it's actually been an interesting ride for these first four games. In the first three games where Devin Booker was playing before he was out with health and safety protocols, only 11 of DeAndre Aiton's 33 attempts were in the restricted area. So he was kind of forced outside of the restricted area and to take a lot of shots in those shots that he was taking. He was still incredibly efficient. He was shooting basically 64% from mid range in like the last 10 games or so. Uh, But it is tough to see somebody as big and with as good of a touch as him that far away from the basket. And I think that just shows the impact that Chris Paul has on Deandre Ayton's game Now in this last game, Cameron Payne finally came back from his wrist injury and he had seven shots in the restricted area as soon as Cameron Payne came back. So having a good point guard makes a big impact on his game. So for me, what I'd like to see is what he does now when he's catching the ball away from the rim. If that mid-range shot continues to fall for him, I think that's going to open up a lot for him in the future. But I'd like to see him find ways to get to the rim, maybe without all of that falling onto the point guard's shoulders and just sort of feeding him under the basket. So if that means one dribble, uh, that would be nice. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if the if the mid-range shot keeps falling, I think that's something that could help him a lot in the future as well. So how confident are you and Suns fans in general that the Suns will be willing to pay to keep both Aiton and Cam Johnson, who's also yeah. extension eligible this summer? Yeah, I, I I'll be honest. With the way that Cameron Johnson has been playing lately, I think it has complicated it a little bit more. It's definitely possible. It's just with Robert Sarver as the owner of the team, you're putting a lot of faith. If you believe it's going to happen, you're putting a lot of faith into an owner that has made decisions in the past to help protect his wallet. So Mm -hmm. I wouldn't call myself incredibly confident in that. And I do think if it comes down to some sort of situation where they have to make a choice between those two players, that could be fascinating. 
Obviously, Aiton has a little more control in what happens than Cameron Johnson. Cameron Johnson still has another year left in his contract, in his rookie deal, whereas Aiton could sign an offer sheet with another team as early as as soon as free agency opens, essentially. So it's going to be a fascinating situation. Cameron Johnson has been extremely good this season and is only really getting better as the season rolls on. So another player whose development is of interest with CP3's absence is Mikael Bridges. Yeah. There was a good article on Bright Side of the Sun detailing how much more is being asked of the wings as far as initiating offense. As someone who's been watching him for the last four years, how far has his offensive game come and what do you think his ceiling is or might be on the offensive end? Yeah, you know, it's actually really interesting for Mikael Bridges in particular. He was, of course, drafted by the Philadelphia 76ers and then traded immediately afterwards. And I'm convinced that just that brief moment that he was on the Philadelphia 76ers briefly ruined his jump shot (laughs) because (laughs) for whatever reason, there was immediately a hitch in his jump shot that existed for essentially the first two seasons of his career in Phoenix. And he was still occasionally making shots, but Mm -hmm. the Suns, along with their shooting coach slowly worked with him to get that hitch out of his jump shot. And of course that was the main thing that needed to happen for him to stay on the court as much as he has, has not yet missed a game in the NBA and plays the most minutes on the Suns. So first he started being able to hit those corner shots. Now he's hunting mid range shots in a way that, I didn't really predict happening for him. Of course, he has the length, like the longest arms in the NBA, When if you just look at him. Um, but for him, I think the biggest hurdle that he needs to actually jump over is his ball handling. He doesn't have the tightest handles. He's not quite doing Jason Tatum things, of course, with mm-hmm. the ball. He's still incredibly efficient, but until he's able to handle the ball a little bit better, I think it's going to be a little more difficult for him to be ultra aggressive with the ball without having a point guard to help feed him some of those shots. Hmm. Yeah. I'm curious about your thoughts on Monty Williams and and the job that he's done. Uh, It's been hard to separate his impact from Chris Paul's impact and not that you really even should be trying to do that. Right. But I'm just curious what your thoughts are on just like the early returns of the Suns without Chris Paul and with just Monty as their leader. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because the first season that Monty was on the team, they of course signed Ricky Rubio. And even though that season didn't end up with them making the playoffs, I think a a big part of that was that Deandre Ayton missed the first 25 games of the season when he was suspended for uh, testing for a diuretic. And I think if he had played those 25 games, the Suns were essentially half a game out of the playoffs at the end of the season. It, it took the uh, Trailblazers beating the Nets in the last game of the bubble in order to keep the Suns out of the playoffs because they won eight in a row in the bubble. So, you know, I think if they had made the playoffs that year, I maybe Monty Williams would get a little bit more credit for, sure. for that specifically, but as someone who's watched every game, and I think a lot of Suns fans who did watch every game of that season as well, I think you could just tell that there was something changing as early as that season. And then that continued on with Chris Paul. This last stretch without Chris Paul is going to be pretty fascinating. I think Monty had a lot to juggle this season in that the Suns are very good, but they're also really young. You know, they made the finals last season. The only old player, old, I'm going to put in quotes, was Chris Paul on the team, everyone else is pretty young. That means that they have to somehow juggle these guys developing over time while still trying to win now at this rate, the most of any team in the NBA. And these last games, if there's any sort of blessing in disguise here, it's that some of the younger guys will have some more freedom to take a little more shots or do a little bit more on the offensive end before the playoffs. And then assuming Chris Paul is, able to come back, then of course they can do that. But I think Monty has done a really good job finding ways to allow these young guys to develop on this team while still winning games, which I think is a really impressive thing to do. Yeah, that's a great point. So let's look ahead to the playoffs. Assuming full health, what do you think makes this Suns team better than the team we saw last year go to the finals? You know, before the NBA season, we did a series of arrested development themed podcast that we called internal development. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. what that was about was the fact that there are 
multiple young players on this team that are young enough that they will continue to improve. Now that's, I think, step one for this team. Devin Booker, still very young, still improving. And then, of course, they still have Mikel Bridges, Cameron Johnson, even Cameron Payne, who really has played less than you would think in the NBA for how long he was in the NBA, of course, was out and then came back. And DeAndre Ayton, of course, the number one overall pick. The first step for them was that experience, making the playoffs for the first time in Devin Booker's career, for the first time for Mikael Bridges, for the first time for DeAndre Ayton. That, I think, was a lesson learned for them. They figured out what it takes to win at that level. And even beyond that, they were able to make the NBA Finals. And for them, just understanding what it takes is a big step in the right direction and knowing where to improve their game to continue to win uh, beyond that. Now, of course, the players that are older in Chris Paul and Jay Crowder need to remain healthy for them to be good Mm. in the playoffs. But I think the first step was for those guys to to really improve. Now, beyond that, really, they just added Landry Shaman and JaVale McGee. Like Those are the big additions to this team this season. JaVale's been great. Yeah. Landry Shamit has been somewhat of a disappointment and maybe I'm underselling that from how actual Suns fans feel about Landry Shamit. <laughs> yeah. Somehow every player that has joined this Suns team under Monty Williams has career years offensively, but Landry Shamit is shooting the worst percentages of his career so far on the Suns. It's very odd. I really don't have a reason for why that's happening, but uh, yeah, he hasn't been a big difference maker. So for the Suns, it's really internal development. I think mm-hmm. that makes him better. So with Memphis and Golden State looking like they're going to be on the other side of the bracket, who is the first or second round matchup that Suns fans are most worried about? Utah, Denver, Dallas, is there a play-in team anybody's afraid of? Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, the Suns just got killed by by New Orleans. <laughs> so yeah. not that I'm entirely scared of them. I don't know, maybe if Zion comes back and they somehow click, that could be yeah. a little scarier of a team. You know, but beyond that, you know, the, the Clippers could be, I guess the Clippers could be a play-in team and, and who knows what happens with the guys that could be healthy on that team. Uh, because, you know, if all of a sudden Kawhi's back or Kawhi and Paul George, or even just one of those two guys, you know, who knows what could happen. Injury luck goes against you the way that it sort of favored them last season. Then it's a little worrisome at that point. You know, who knows if Chris Paul even plays the first few games of the playoffs, we'll see where he's at at that point, six to eight weeks technically puts him into the first week of the uh, NBA playoffs. And then beyond that, I guess it depends on the matchups. You know, Denver is pretty interesting because they have guys that are coming back. Of course, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. I think the Suns really did a great job targeting him, even though he is a great offensive player. I do think there are some defensive issues with him that the Suns were able to take advantage of. And if he's coming back from an injury, you know, maybe that's something they can continue to do. Um, but yeah, beyond that, I think the biggest threats, of course, are the teams that you mentioned at the top there, which mm-hmm. is, of course, Golden State and Memphis. And who knows what will end up happening with those two teams as well, as far as well they'll, where they'll end up falling at the end of the season. Well, Mike, thank you so much for answering our questions. But it is now time to play Andrew versus the Beat, our weekly <laughs> trivia show where Andrew goes head-to-head with a beat writer for an NBA team. This week, it's Mike Vigil co-host of the Timeline Podcast. Mike, how this works, I've come up with eight trivia questions about the Suns. Uh, Some are easy, some are hard. You're going to give me a number between one and eight. It'll correspond to a question. If you get it right, you get two points. If you get it wrong, Andrew will have a chance to steal for one. We'll go back and forth until all the questions have been asked and answered. So will you start me off with a number between one and eight? I'm just going to go right uh, for number one. Oh, great choice. <laughs> the Phoenix Suns mascot, known simply as the Gorilla, was not always the Suns mascot. The Suns actually tried to introduce a mascot prior to the Gorilla, but it never took off. What was the first failed Suns mascot? Now I'm going to give you five options. One of them is correct. Can, can I, if I know it, can I just guess? Okay, if you, <laughs> if you know it, I will give you three a bonus point. You could get three okay. points if you get it right. Oh, no. I think I know it. Okay. Are you sure? Are you sure you want to risk it? You could hear five names. <laughs> I what I will feel good if I get this, so I have to try. Is it a sunflower? It was a sunflower. <laughs> <All right. laughs> yes, it was. Um, wh- 
Hey, Andrew, would any of these fooled you? Coyote, Giant Star, Alien, Sunflower, or Live Goat? What do you think you would have guessed there? <laughs> definitely not Alien or Live Goat. I'm not Sunflower definitely sounds fake. Yeah, Sunflower. <laughs> it does. doesn't sound real. Could have gone with star, like you could, sun is a star, you know, stuff, like whatever. Yeah, I could have. Well, that, that's probably where I would have gone. That was an impressive uh, first answer from Mike. Yeah. Andrew, you're already behind. Uh, <laughs> number two. Question number two. DeAndre Ayton is currently shooting over 63% on 11 attempts per game. In the last decade, there are only four players who have shot over 60% on at least 10 attempts per game. How many can you name? You could potentially get four points here, Andrew, because I'm going to give you one point per correct answer. So again, this is shooting over 60% for an entire season on at least 10 attempts per game. It's only been done four other times in the last decade. Holy smokes. Um, So you got to think of like hyper-efficient players. Did Capella do it? Clint Capella in 2018-19 did do it. You're on the board. You want to throw out a name? Jakob Pertl? Jakob Pertl. (laughs) We were just talking about Jakob Pertl. Uh, No, that's incorrect. Okay. (laughs) Um, I wonder how close Jakob is, though. You know, now that you bring him up, I'm kind of interested. Let's, let's go take a look at Jakob Pearl's basketball reference page. You know, he is – oh, wow, Andrew, you are super close. He is shooting okay. 62% on 9.8 <laughs> attempts oh, per game. Jakob. Wow. Oh. Okay, uh, Mike, you have a chance. You could get okay. three points right here if, if you know. There's one – I have one guess, and it's DeAndre Jordan. DeAndre Jordan, a great guess, but somehow incorrect. Wow. So his his thing must have been that he just didn't take enough. I was gonna yeah. say attempts. maybe he didn't get ten. Yeah, because wow, he you... has like the highest field goal percentage for any like high volume player ever, right, or something like that. Yeah, because he shot seventy one percent. That was the year he uh, made the All Star game. I can't. Remember. I did not remember him making yeah. the All Star game. <laughs> I was but... I was hoping there would be two Chris Paul teammates in there. Uh, <laughs> so call the... it a Chris Paul stat. I was seeing if there – well, no, Montrez was not playing with Chris Paul. Montrez Harrell was on this list. Ah, uh, Hassan Whiteside. And then the only one you may have gotten, gotten if you it. thought about it a little longer, Zion last year. Ah, oh, yeah. of course. Wow. I forget he played basketball. Yeah. <laughs> right. Okay, Mike, the board I, I guess I got to go three. If we're wow, going we've down never gone here. straight yeah. in a row. This is very exciting. <laughs> okay, which son – has hit at least one three-pointer in 19 straight games, the longest current streak on the team. Ah. I'm going to say Cameron Johnson. That is correct. And when I told you there was an easy question, that was the easy one. Yeah. Especially since Devin Booker, the other person it could be, was out on Wednesday night. (laughs) Yeah, that kind of made it even easier. Uh, Okay, Andrew, back to you. Uh, Number four. Number four. JaVale McGee has played for eight NBA franchises, including the Phoenix Suns. We're not going to name all of his teams, but with which franchise did JaVale have his highest points per game average over his season with 12 points per game? Not the Suns. Probably not the Wizards. It's probably either the Nuggets or the Lakers, maybe? Are you picking one of those? Yes. <laughs> or are you just giving Mike options for when you get it wrong? <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna say it's the Lakers because it's weirder. Lakers. Andrew, that is correct for two yes. points. All right, uh, Mike, do you want to go to number five? Yeah, I guess <laughs> I guess I have to. <laughs> Don't break the streak. Okay, now before you answer this, there's there's an extra part of it. So wait before answering. Okay. How many career triple doubles does Chris Paul have? Now, how this works, you get to pick who guesses first. So either you can guess first and then Andrew will get to choose higher or lower than your number, or you can make Andrew guess first and then you get to guess higher or lower. Mm. Now, if, if, if you let Andrew guess first, you risk that he could get it exactly, but you also have a little bit more wiggle room in terms of like based on what he says. Right. I think I'm going to let Andrew pick a number and try okay. and... Because I don't know it. I, I, I think I know, but yeah, that's a tough one. Okay, so Andrew, how many career triple doubles does Chris Paul have? Yeah, I don't know this either. Um, six. Six. 
Mike, would you like to go higher or lower than that? I got to go higher than that. Yes, it is higher than that. Why would you get six? <laughs> I don't That's know. That's so low. Oh, Can I estimate? <laughs> it's in the 40s? It's not. It's too much? 18. Okay, wow. That's what... Yeah, see, so I, thought, I thought it... I thought it, I put that in there because I thought it was surprising. It was only eighteen. I was yeah. trying to come up with, and, and we were so close <laughs> to being able to make this a trivia question. Alfred Payton has seventeen, yeah. and so he's like two oh, away wow. from having more triple doubles yeah. than Chris Paul, which would have been has a fun a f- question. A few on the Suns because he's had two stints. Alfred Payton on the Suns. Yeah. Um, okay, Andrew. I'm assuming you want question number six. I do. Okay. List these Phoenix Suns vets in order from most playoff games played. Two fewest playoff games play. Okay. We're doing Landry Shamit, JaVale McGee, Tory Craig. <laughs> JaVale first. Okay. Oh, this is tough. Shamit, Craig. That is incorrect. Mike, you have a Ooh. chance to steal. Wow. That's um, what I would have guessed. <laughs> so <laughs> I guess I'm glad that you said that it has to be JaVale because JaVale has multiple championship runs so he must be it must be JaVale Craig then Shamit that is correct it's closer than you think though JaVale has played 62 playoff games Tory Craig 55 wow 55 huh i mean he he went on that run last year with the uh the Suns mm-hmm. yeah and then he who i actually i don't even know who else who, oh Denver, Denver yeah Bucks. he had two seasons yeah. with Denver yeah. Um, okay, Mike, you have a commanding lead. I don't <laughs> think I gave you a point for that. So you is currently eight to three. Ooh. Wow. High score. That's bad. high score. Uh, okay. Question number seven. Since we're going in order, all right. For Mike, in the last five seasons, going back to the 2017-18 season, there have been 16 40-point games by a Phoenix Suns player. 14 of those 16 came from Devin Booker. Who were the other two sons in the last five years to have a 40-point game? And I will give you one point per correct answer. 40-point game in the last five years. Only three sons have done it. Devin Booker and these two gentlemen. Okay. I'm going to say Kelly Oubre. That is incorrect. Andrew, you have a chance to steal, and you could get two points here, Andrew. If you know who scored 40 points for the sons in the last five years. What about T.J. Warren? Yes, T.J. Warren Uh, is one of them. That's a good guess. If you get the other one, I will be very impressed. Oh, you know what? I know who it is. (sighs) Because it's kind of a funny one. It is. It is. I don't know. I don't know the other one. Mike, you want to say who it was? Jamal Crawford? It was Jamal Crawford. (laughs) Last game of the season, I think. I forgot about that. (laughs) I forgot that it was with the Suns. Yeah. Okay, Andrew, you could still get uh, two points right here. And would it help you win? No. But it would make it one of our <laughs> highest scoring games ever. Mikhail Bridges has one of the more creative list of nicknames on his basketball reference page. Which of the following nicknames is not a real nickname mm. associated with Mikhail Bridges? So I'm going to read you hmm. five nicknames. One of them is made up, okay? Okay. <laughs> Noodles, Praying Mantis, String Bean, Inspector Go-Go Gadget, or Sebastian. Once again, that was Noodles, Praying Mantis, String Bean, Inspector Go-Go Gadget, or Sebastian. String Bean? That is incorrect. (laughs) Mike, you have a chance to steal for one more point. Okay. I want to give a shout out, first of all, to his best nickname, which is The Warden. Yes, and I did not put people up. That was the one I knew, so I didn't want to include that. Sebastian? Yes, I made up Sebastian. (laughs) (laughs) I thought it was so stupid that it might trick uh, someone. It did trick Andrew. (laughs) I was like, that that makes no sense. There's got to be like some backstory to Sebastian. (laughs) Got to be noodles or string bean. Uh, Mike, that was a a dominating win, similar to the Suns over the Blazers. That was 9-2-4. Mike Vigil wins Andrew versus the Beat. Wow.
You never want to be compared to this current iteration of the Blazers. Uh, Mike, <laughs> thanks so much for joining the show. Course, be sure course. to uh, go listen to the Timeline Podcast. Great show. They just had J.J. Reddick on, which is yeah. a really fun, fun episode. So go check that out. Follow Mike on Twitter at ProtectedPick. Mike, thanks again, man. Appreciate you guys. Okay, thank you again to Mike Vigil. We are going to choose a new team, though. Putting the Suns in our rearview mirror. I'm going to pick a new team for next week. Who's it going to be? We've got 23 remaining teams. A lot of great options. Some terrible options. Let's see what we get, Andrew. Spinning <laughs> the wheel. Terrible options. Oh, our on, wheel. wheel of fandom team for next week will be... The Boston Celtics. Ooh, my turnaround team, Boston Celtics. Oh, they've they've had they've had kind of a weird past week. Let's let's get some let's get some good Celtics momentum going into the wheel of fame. Yeah, they lost here. to the Pacers and they also lost to the Pistons <laughs> recently, but they're also like one of the best teams. Very confusing. Yeah. It's very confusing. We'll have to break it all down next Saturday. Uh, before we go, I'm going to read a couple five-star Apple Podcast reviews. If you want your review read, just write us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Make sure you put Slam and Jam somewhere in there, and we will read it. Uh, this one comes from Physics is Groovy. He says, love to catch up with all my NBA news with the Saturday Slam and Jam. I can't have my slam without my jam. Thanks for the excellently paced and produced show with a laugh-out-loud trivia segment that I can't go without. Love your number one fan in Round Rock, Texas. Thank you so much for that review. And our last review today comes from MC2250. It says, great info with entertainment along the way. Let's go, Andrew. I can't tell if I'm cheering for the favorite or the underdog at this point. Excellent work, guys. Definitely the dog today. Uh, thanks so much for listening to the Saturday Slam and Jam. Hope you guys enjoy your weekend and the basketball. And we will talk to you guys again next week. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.